Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 126, recorded live August 16th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and we're going to have a few articles in the news. Some of those are going to include cave diving, underwater preserved, and a shipwreck mystery solved. But before we get to that, I want to welcome my co-host this week. We have Mac, our dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing very well, thank you. Yourself, I hope. I'm not doing too bad. I had a day off and hang around the, the fairgrounds, which is probably a podcast just in itself, but uh, stayed mostly dry which in this case is a good thing. And then we also have Jim Schultz all the way from Iowa. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing great. I'm probably about as happy as a flying an outhouse tonight. There you go. So uh, how, how was your drive? You, now you're you're out in Iowa. you going to do any diving out there? No, I just came out for business today. I had some things this afternoon, and I'm headed back home tomorrow. So. Oh, wow. Just a quick trip, but that's what pays the bill. You've got that right, so. Yeah, that's a, now you had to drive out to Iowa? Yes, it's about a five and a half hour drive from where I am, and it's faster than flying. Yeah, I, I know how that goes. I have a few trips I've had to do where it's right there on the line. So, uh, But yeah, hopefully, hopefully you drive safe and you're able to make it, so that's great. And we have a great chat room. I appreciate everybody hanging in there. We got a little of a late start. I had, uh, the youth, like I said earlier, the youth fair going on. I uh, had some friends from Germany come into town. They decided to uh, stop in. Uh, during fair week because they like to they like the youth fair here and uh, we had to run to St. Joe grab a quick bite to eat and come back which is a lot to fit into a day so I appreciate everybody hanging on and coming into the chat room and we're going to go ahead and get started and hopefully uh, people keep me on my toes and we'll go ahead and get the uh, news articles pasted into the chat room and uh, I did these earlier in the day in about 10, 15 minutes of I actually had a lot of free time today, but it wasn't really all connected free time. I chewed down the battery of my phone. When you're using it, you can go through it in about four hours. Uh, this first article is a... Well, that's not the one I was, is, is that the first one I had? I guess it is. A, a Penfield man is injured in a scuba diving incident. Uh, he was uh, scuba diving in... Oh, my goodness. It looks like Canada, but it's not. Sea-Can-Nan-Dagua uh, Lake. Canandaigua Lake. Wow. One more time. C-A-N-A-N-D-A-I-G-U-A. Ontario, Canada. What's that? It's in Ontario, Canada. Condaria, Canada? Ontario, Canada is where it's at. Oh, I I can say Ontario. No, I'm I'm looking in the article. If you look at that first line, the lake there. Uh, But he was struck by a boat and received a broken arm. Frank Porter, 63, was diving about 20 yards offshore in Gorham, Ontario County, about 1.20 p.m. when he struck as he was servicing by a 25-foot pontoon boat, which was driven by Mark Buckley, 57, of Chile. According to the Ontario County Sheriff's Office, uh, Buckley, driving the pontoon boat, assisted Porter to shore. Porter was taken to the F.F. Thompson Hospital. 
for a broken right arm. He was uh, Porter was issued a citation for failing to display markers of scuba diving by the Ontario County Sheriff's Marine and Recreational Division. Uh, Buckley and his three passengers on the boat were not injured. So uh, as last week, we discovered that the ideal dive flag uh, may be a bikini on a fin. Uh, this gentleman didn't have anything as a dive flag. And, you know, I guess that's the alternative. You know, we, we always say everybody should be uh, diving a dive flag and we got to watch out for the boats not knowing what they are. But if you don't even fly one, I don't know what you say. What do you say to this, Mac? Well, I think you got a lesson, or actually two lessons, added insult to injury. Just like he probably didn't hit him in the head and the pontoon hit him. Yeah, I, I mean. Again, getting the uh, citation, that ought to add a little extra to his wound. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's going to cost you a little money. But you know what? You If you're diving in a body of water, you need a dive flag. Some dive flag has to be flown. It's either going to be flown on the boat that you're diving off of, or you're going to drag a float around. Uh, it, you know, you Everybody should have a dive flag and take it with them. And even if you end up not needing it, because say you're you're diving with a dive buddy, and he has one, uh, you definitely want to make sure you have one. And this is a perfect example of what happens. And actually, he's kind of lucky. He's damn lucky. Oh, I mean, what you know, the, all he did was break an arm. Yeah, he could have been sliced up, and all sorts of bad yeah, things your, happen. Your arms are not that far from your head. No. Chances are he put his arm up over his head. Yeah. To shield himself and yeah, broken well, arm. Damn yeah, what I'm picturing is that he came up in front of the boat, and then the boat, you know, he was in a blind spot, and the boat couldn't see him or stop soon enough. And you're right, he he used that to deflect himself, uh, the boat from his head. So uh, you well, know, wish wish for a good recovery, but uh, it's a lesson learned there. Well, you know, we're always bitching about the guys who use our flags for uh, turning pylons and stuff. Uh, now we're going to get a reputation of those damn divers don't use dive flags. Yeah. Yep. So it goes both ways. We have responsibility for flying the flag, and they have responsibility for understanding what it means and staying away. And one thing that I have to say that we need to do better as divers is, is consistently make sure that we take the dive flags down. Uh, I've been guilty of a few times keeping the flag up is you know, forgetting that we have it up and then starting to motor the boat. Yeah, I have a solution for that. It happened to me twice. I end up losing a dive flag <laughs> after I motor away from the, the wreck. So I've lost two dive flags this season. Yeah, uh, uh, Jim Kleeman and I have lost uh, two or three. We've been losing them on the road. He's got a spot where he tucks them in the boat. And as we go down the highway, the wind just somehow, like all last year, we kept it in the same spot, never lost a flag. We've lost two this year. <clears throat> Is that kind of the one we found for you? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Where did you find it? Uh, we stopped on the road and picked one up, if you'll remember. <laughs> yeah, that would, that could be it. <laughs> yeah, that would be the second one. Yeah, the first one I think we lost on, uh, from Grand Haven. Kirk and Bob, uh, they got a little bit ahead of us and they saw it on the, the Meridian on the way back. Uh, we couldn't find it, so. And it was probably in a bad spot. Traffic was crazy. Had we stopped, we'd have probably gotten rear-ended with a boat behind us, but. Okay, so uh, here here we jump on to this this next article. Uh, the uh, sheriff detective tracks down a burglar who stole five thousand dollars worth of scuba gear. Um, not the same uh, gear that w- we talked about in a previous show, but a twenty five year old uh, Hawaiian Gardens man is behind bars on suspicion of breaking into a vehicle parked outside of Caro's restaurant in Cerritos and stealing more than five thousand dollars worth of scuba diving equipment. Most of it was eventually returned to its rightful owners with help from the sheriff's detectives. 
as the story goes, the gear was stolen from a car. Uh, they went and reported it stolen. Uh, let's see. And then there was a little bit. Uh, oh, and then so what, what kind of happens after it was, it was reported stolen, the wife of the, the pair who had their gear taken received a call from the credit card company uh, saying that somebody had just charged on that card. It was at a Target. Uh, the police detective went to the Target, looked at the film, and recognized the person who was using the card. He bought an iPad uh, from Target, and uh, he did a quick police lineup of a recent mugshot that the gentleman had had because he was out on parole. Uh, they were <laughs> able to identify him. Uh, they Because he was a parole violator, they were able to get a warrant to search his home. And uh, guess what they found? They found uh, most of the gear, uh, some money, and some credit cards. Not only they bust him, but they also busted somebody who was fencing the stuff. So uh, it ended up being a, a good story. They were able to get most of their gear back. Uh, the, lucky. Yeah, lucky and what the police were, were saying is one way to have avoided having the gear stolen is to actually not leave it visible. What they're saying is that a lot of the stuff was stolen from the vehicle because the crook, as he is walking around, could see that there was something worth stealing from inside. So I have to say, I'm, you know, I do have tinted windows and most of my stuff's in the back, but you know, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, should I have that scuba license plate in the front of my vehicle? If you're a crook, I'm advertising, you know, where to come and get it or what you might find. Yeah, when we're in school years ago in California, uh, they said do not put stickers on your car indicating you're a diver for that same reason. If there's a bunch of cars out in the parking lot, what is he going to look for in the trunk or break open the trunk? The one with the sticker that shows what kind of work the guy does. Yeah. I think I'm going to get a sticker that says live dogs, <laughs> danger, live dogs, and just put that on the back of my truck. Yeah. Or, 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 or just the one that says reserve police officer. Yeah. The, the one that says reserve police officer, that's that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Well, the, the other one, maybe we need to get a placard, like for hazardous materials, like dangerous contact poison. Yeah, biological hazards. Mm. Yeah. Mm. This vehicle holds hospital waste. Hospital waste. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then next up, we have Great Lakes Underwater Presents Historic Weather, Shipwrecks, and Scuba and Paddlers Program. Well, that's a mouthful for a title. On uh, Saturday, September 8th, the Great Lakes Seaway, tr Seaway Trail in New York Sea Grant will present Great Lakes Underwater at the Clayton Opera House. The noon to 5 p.m. program, co-sponsored by NOAA National Weather Service, features four distinct speakers focusing on history, shipwrecks, and innovative technology for boaters. Uh, one of the presenters is Robert Bob Hamilton. He's a meteorologist with the National Weather Service out of Buffalo, New York. He is noted for presenting his research on meteor, meteorological conditions that have hit, impacted historic events, including shipwrecks. He presents his study into weather influencing the time of the foundering of the HMS Ontario at the spring uh, 2012 Great Lake Meteorological Operational Workshop in Chicago. They're also going to have Douglas Pippin, historical archaeologist who has studied the provisioning and frontier economy, the British military, and displaced loyalists during the American Revolution. I, I love some of the explanations of these, just how, how long it goes on. Uh, he's conducted a field work at Fort Hamilton and at the loyalist settlements of Exuma Island in the Bahamas. He received his doctorate degree in Syracuse University. They also have Jill Kennard, uh, known as the Jacques Cousteau, the Great Lakes Sea Whale Trail, uh, has been featured in such publications as National Geographic, the Sea Technology Magazine, for the 200-plus rare and historic shipwrecks he has discovered in numerous waters in his 40-year career. Now, now, do you guys know him? Yes, sir, Ree Bob. Let me tell you. Um, you've got one of his wrecks on your list to talk about, the Ontario. Uh-huh. 
uh, you need to look at that one. <clears throat> That's the only uh, actual ship I've seen in the Great Lakes that actually has cutlasses on board in the gunnels, marlin spikes still on the side railings, and a skeleton. Oh, wow. And what they don't mention in that program there, <clears throat> excuse me, there is a second boat just like the first boat within a mile or two. Of I believe it's the Scrounge. I'm probably getting that screwed up. But there's another one near it. They don't talk about that in that article, but the pictures are fantastic. And when you get to this other one, I'll send you another link uh-huh. to two other their boats that they've discovered using the side scan. And you're talking 500 plus feet deep. So they're using ROVs for pictures, but mm-hmm. the pictures will knock you out. Oh, wow. Well, the Scrounge, I believe, was uh, War of 1812, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so same thing with, the, uh, with this one here. Yeah. With the oh, Ontario. Wow. Yep. And the National Geographic did an article on those maybe God, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. So, 18, so 1812 to 2012, it's a nice time to do a 200-year anniversary on it. Well, there's one other little item, too, that they are talking about an undiscovered wreck or a wreck that was just uncovered. They believe to be 200 years old. And the significant part about it is the sideboard slash dagboard arrangement. And I think that's interesting. I need to look that up a little better and see what the difference is or what the uniqueness is and see if that's like our center board. Hmm. Yeah, we just we, we still need to find out what our center board looks like. Well, yeah, we know that the part with the turnbuckles and all is unusual. Oh, well, yeah, we, we know about the turnbuckles, but we it'd be nice to be able to move some sand and find out what the... Uh, how that center board ends up going through the keel. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jim, we talked over you. I'm willing to bet it does, but we won't know. No, I said we tried to do a little, planned to do a little uh, moving sand last weekend, but uh, this was so before and the car so strong we canceled that. But uh, we may try it again this weekend. Oh, yeah. Okay, next up on the list is we have. That's right, Darren. You were there for that. One. Yeah, I think I remember that. Which we're we're gonna have we're gonna have a plenty. Yeah, of you were there. Yeah, yeah. We we we've got a good story to tell on that one. Okay. Later. So next up is an article. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I do recommend that people take a look at it. It's out of the Alert Diver magazine at alertdiver.com. Uh, the Dan title, and it's on cavern and cave diving. So if you've ever wanted to know about cavern and cave diving, it's a good article to read. Uh, probably the one point to pick out of it is they talk about the early days of cave diving and how many fatalities they were. And uh, through the education that many organizations have done, specifically the cave divers in the area, they have significantly cut down on those loss of life, largely through educating divers that you need special certification and training to be doing cave diving. So a great article. Uh, makes me want to do cave diving, actually. The, the pictures are outstanding. If you don't go for anything else, look at the pictures and the visibility. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah that, that's what gets me on the cave diving is, you know, I, I love diving in our uh, Great Lakes and even in the rivers, when visibil- even when visibility's not the greatest. But, gosh, just to be able to see what they see down here in some of these caves, you know, a little bit of variety doesn't hurt. And then uh, we're adding a, a few more people to go do some diving. A Watertown teen is chosen to participate in a scuba diving expedition. The New England Aquarium's newest educational program is called Sea Turtle, which means Teen Underwater Research Training and Learning Expedition. Turtle uh, will be in the Boston. Uh, will take Boston area teens on a scuba diving expedition at in Jamestown, Rhode Island. 
among the group of 13, 16 to 18-year-olds accepted to participate this year is rising Watertown High School senior Isabel Holt. The primary mission of Sea Turtle will be for teens to quickly master their scuba diving skills in an effort to find tropical fish that may have inadvertently traveled up the Gulf Stream. If found, the fish will be taken to the aquarium where they have the opportunity to flourish in a safe environment. So what is this, like a rescue program for fish? Sort of sounds like something to maintain the fish. Yeah, so... have important decisions. So what they're saying there is if, you know, something got in the Gulf Stream, it got taken up north, and it probably would die otherwise, they're going to take and throw it in. So maybe it's a way of stocking the aquarium. Uh, Holt, a lifetime sailor, admits she's always had a passion for the sea, but her education, curiosity, and marine biology birthed uh, last year, and she participated in a program run by Sea Education Association in California. She is particularly interested in the scientific fields of biology and chemistry. Her newfound passion for marine biology led her to accept the position at the aquarium, which she volunteered on the floor working with the marine life and learning the current trends in conservation research. So uh, you can find more information on the Sea Turtle Program at the New England Aquarium, and the website is www.nea. Q.org. That's N-E-A-Q.org. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's see what this next one is. I got two links. I was moving through them earlier today. I can remember a lot of these links thinking they'd be great. Now I have no idea what they are, so I'll have to pull it up. Next one's uh, the Seattle Sketcher, which you're talking about scuba diving in Puget Sound. Um, and so they're saying is if you're, you're out there and you look around and you happen to notice a scuba diver get out, don't be alarmed. They're just scuba divers diving in an underwater park. Uh, one of the divers says it's a whole different world down there. Jacqueline Perry told me after a 90 minute dive with her buddy, it's very peaceful. You can only hear your own bubbles. The park is open from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, so what the, the underwater park is the Edmonds underwater park, a network of submarine trails maintained by volunteers for more than 30 years. Now that's probably ought to be applauded for that because that's a lot of effort to have started it and then continued it. Yeah, they've maintained it all this time. And I, I think this is an example that many places should do. And I've, I've sent a link into the park for everybody who happens to be in the chat room, which will also I'll make sure I add in the show notes. So it's the city of Edmonds, Washington. Uh, the Edmonds Underwater Park is located just north of Edmonds Kingston Ferry Landing at the foot of Main Street. The park includes more than 27 acres of tide and bottom land, of which approximately half have been developed with features and trails specifically for divers. The park was established uh, in 1970 by city ordinance as a marine preserve and sanctuary. It is the most popular of 10 underwater parks that make up Washington's underwater park system. About 25,000 scuba divers visit Edmonds Park each year. Most are among the state's 250,000 trained divers, though 15% come out of the state, mostly from Portland and Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, why aren't we doing something like this in Michigan? I'm not sure. Uh, you'll notice their season, though, is like May through September, which would be like ours. Yeah. Uh, it's, it really seems to have a lot of support. Yeah, it has a lot of support. It's getting some tourism. You figure 25,000 scuba divers. So that's each year. So let's let's do the math. And I'm always skeptical on numbers, but let's go ahead and uh, let me pull up my calculator Here's here. The 50% factor. Yeah. So so let's Just say that the 50% factor. So so let's say they've inflated it. So that's let's say there's 12,500. So you're saying when is it? May to September. Yeah. So we got. So let's five say, let's five. Let's let's call it five months uh, times that's five thousand a month. So it's 100 150 a day. I mean uh, 150 days. So what would you say, Mac? Well, that's five thousand a month. 
So five thousand a month, and we divide that by per week. 30. About. Yeah. So you know that that's a pretty respectable. It's not out of control numbers. You know, I'm coming up with that 160 people a, a day if it was all even. So you're probably going to have 40 or 50 during the week, and maybe two or 300 a weekend. So that's a nice bit of traffic for a park. Yeah. And if you're that sports bracket landing area, that's where they have their error purchase stat. Yeah. They're doing pretty good job too. Okay. So so let's say you got two two hundred people on a Saturday and each of them have a modest lunch. You know, you're 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 talking some pretty good amount of revenue coming in. Especially when I just saw the turnaround time in the parking lot is limited to four hours. So you're not gonna do more than maybe two dives at most. I mean some quick dives depending on your depth. Yeah. So I, we, I didn't see how deep the deepest part was. Did you? No, I haven't yet. Let me see if they say. Uh, but looking on a map, it's I know fairly they've got a close. Foot tug in there, a ninety-four foot tug. Yeah, they they say the another sea- boat, seventy foot Triumph. There, here's a picture of a guy who looks just like you. What's he doing? Is that the guy with the white tank? You saying? But doesn't he have a dry suit yeah, on? Yeah, looks like him. Yeah, except he's got, like I said, he's got a dry suit. That's Oh, yeah. Oh, I said the deepest part of the uh, park is 45 feet at high tide. Yeah, I, I just so, caught I mean, that, too. So, I mean, you can get some good time. Yeah, so, but that, so that's a nice, that, we we need to have something like that. Uh, maybe, maybe that's something that we need to, to talk to our preserve representative. Yeah, the satellite picture is pretty nice, too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the chat the chat room screaming at me. It says uh, it appears for a fundraiser, Darren needs to organize a dive with Mac Day. Okay, now, now I need to backtrack what the chat room says. Yeah, there's a lot of people who want to dive with Mac and go bottle hunting and uh, and picking. Um, yeah, they don't want to dive with Jim or or me. They want to dive with Mac. Yep, uh, Mac's a legend. He is. I mean, he he, he can go. He can get in the water before you and find a glob top, or he can get in the water after you and find a glob top. But he's going to find it. Well, look at it this way: if he gets in the water before you, he's still going to get out of the water after you, and probably <laughs> find two glob tops while he's at it. Yeah, I've I've had him dive in a tank that I've emptied, and he still got an hour after it. I came over for a hutchie, and he went back and got it. <laughs> So we need. We, it almost sounds like we need to do a roast for Mac. We got plenty of material. You get like nice place. Very nice place. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love this uh, this location and what they're doing. Uh, and that's what we need to do in Michigan. You know, these wrecks that we're diving on, they're rubble wrecks now. But at some point, they're not going to be there. Uh, you know, I, I we just need to get to doing some more labeling on what's there, and then work on. Uh, making it uh, continue to be a destination for diving because this this water just keeps getting clearer and clearer. Of course, you couldn't tell by last week's dive. But well, I think Jim will be able to take this kind of article and the number of people utilizing it. So when he's trying to get some more funding, maybe some members with some money power for the underwater preserve, this could be you know something you could use. Yeah, and 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 you look at this and you know, your bigger organizations are going to thumb their nose at it because that's they want serious money, millions of dollars. But it's every little bit, you know, we're just talking about the divers here. So they said, you know, they, you know, so, and we did, did conservative numbers. We took them half off the top. So you figure that, but that's a divers. That's not figuring their families who will come with them, uh, what they talk about, where they're going, the other ancillary type of revenue that happens with it, you know, and, and then uh, just uh, the, in, you know, the more people we get out there diving, the more uh, conservation we're going to have for the places that we want to dive at. Yep. Uh, next up, our one of our favorite topics, shipwreck mystery solved. 
if I open that or try to open that one, it locks my computer up. So, huh? Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's a video on that page which I haven't watched, and maybe my connection's too wimpy for it. But uh, the University of Delaware researchers have discovered that a shipwreck near the coast of Cape Henlopen is a 215-foot-long sailing vessel destroyed by a hurricane more than a century ago. Uh, scientific surveys and historical records indicate the shipwreck is the W.R. Grace, a three-masted ship that ran aground during a hurricane September 12, 1889. It was not something we expected to be as old as it was, said Arthur Tenenbaunis, associate professor for oceanography and geographical sciences in the College of Earth, Ocean, and Environment. Uh, his research group came upon the shipwreck two years ago while training undergraduates to use remotely operated vehicles and other ocean surveying equipment along the coast of Cape Henlopen State Park near Lewis, Delaware. They're surprised to find the shipwreck was not included in the public federal database of known shipwrecks and other potential navigation hazards. Delaware's coast have been the site of hundreds of shipwrecks over nearly four centuries, making identification a challenge, particularly with old and wooden ships disintegrating over time. State archaeologists initially suspected that this unknown wreck was made of iron or steel since it was readily picked up on sonar, possibly military or freight vessel dating to World War I or, one, World War I or later. Uh, he partnered with Jeff Snyder, president of Sea Vision Underwater Solutions, a commercial marine surveyor, to revisit the site in June to obtain better images with side-scan sonar and video technology. No, Mac, you, you're not seeing that side-scan sonar, are you? <laughs> I mean, if I ever win anything near the lottery, I'm going to have one of the best you can buy. That was, I mean, looking at it, that is nice. I mean, if I saw that on the sonar, either that's a very giant worm or that's a shipwreck. <laughs> uh, they were able to pinpoint the exact location, orientation, and size of the wreck, which sits about seven meters below the surface. So seven meters, even in my somewhat advanced math skills, is about 21 feet. I mean, is that just so shallow that nobody even thought to look for it? That's what it sounds like. They knew that it sank there, put its anchor out. Quite interesting. Yeah. The W.R. Grace, built in 1873. Uh, ship had a metal sheath around the hull to prevent marine growth. So it sounds like it was a wooden vessel, and then they sheathed it. Yeah. Uh, they said the ship's fate was uh, determined when it, a hurricane struck in 1889. It had difficulty navigating shallow waters around the Cape. And after dropping anchored right up storm, the ship drifted and lodged into the sand below. The vessel was carrying 7,000 empty petroleum barrels from France to refill in Philadelphia and to ship to Japan. Within the W.R. Grace, a loss operator, Flynn and company, sold the barrels at auction. When we found the wreck itself, we noticed there doesn't appear to be any cargo in the hold, so it was also something that points our wreck being the W.R. Grace. So they salvaged it then. Is that what that means? Um, or did the barrels just float away? I would think they floated the way. Uh, the sandy coastal feature seems to have prevented life from taking hold on the wreck until relatively recently. The ship appears to have been previously buried. Swift currents helped open the marine floor. And that makes sense. Because wasn't that what Dud Gwilbanks, you know, when you read some of the NUMA studies? Yeah. That uh, you know, a lot of that stuff that sank along the coast and the shallows got buried really quickly. Yeah, I think they said it's undergone periods of burial and exposure. So the wreck was either uncovered sometime between 1995 and 2007. Wow, very cool. So there's, there, you know, we're not just finding them in the Midwest here. They're finding them all over. Still plenty of shipwrecks to find. So that does it for Scuba News. Uh, we have some Scuba photos. 
And this is an article that's giving some tips on how to do some great rec dive photography. If you're interested in rec dive photography, head on over to the link that we've got. It's out of Sports Diver Magazine. But it's also worth it just for the photo. Absolutely. Just that, just that first photo right there. Holy mackerel. I like the way he says in his tips for diving, try to get a diver in the profile of the ship to give you a point of reference for size. And that certainly makes a hell of a difference when you see the boat and then you see the guy behind it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the thing about this is uh, if you've been listening to Rich's uh, podcast, Diver Sink, you've heard him mention how he's entered his photos and contests and won. And one reason he wins is because he's a good photographer. The other reason is he's the only one entering. So if you're a diver and you've wanted to get into it, take some of these tips and enter. You know, maybe it's not as good as this photo. I mean, this is an amazing photo, but to get out there and try it. And then the tips in here, if you put any of these together, you got a shot at having a pretty decent photo. I like the fact they said, you know, try and get a large shot, which, you know, you're going to have to, visibility is going to have to be on your side. Lighting's going to have to be on your side. And then putting that diver in a photo, it just gives you a sense of scale. Because when we see ships on the surface, we're only seeing from the waterline up. You know, it's almost like an iceberg. You, know, you got the displacement to hold that vessel up. So when you see it underwater, you're seeing all of that vessel, provided it didn't break apart. Well, that's why around here, I think you often see, because the wrecks may not be good, but everybody wants a shot by the propeller because it shows you that perspective of how big that really was. Yeah. Yeah. Rich has one he just posted this week of his wife, Jill by a propeller, and even smaller boats. I mean, they don't have to be huge boats, uh, have large propellers. I mean, there's a, that's a lot of mass. You know, any of those steam vessels. Yeah, and, and this one, even in this photo here, I think you can see a little bit of the propeller off to the side, unless that's just a rock. It's hard to say. Yeah, I didn't notice it till just now. It also looks like a crowbar there, which I don't think it's a crowbar. But, but uh, next You mean the thing going all the way from the bottom all the way up to the side of the ship? Yeah. With the hook on yeah, I was trying to figure out what the hell is that? Yeah, I don't know if somebody was trying to salvage something, maybe. I'd like to dive that wreck. That is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that, that is a beautiful one. I don't know if they say where it is. The uh, the photographer and the one they use in examples, Alex Mustard. So uh, I bet if I do some searching on there, we can probably turn up where we went. Oh, our photo Alex, Alex Mustard. It's a trained marine biologist who has been a full-time underwater photographer and author since 2004. He started taking underwater shots at age nine. The UK native became one of the world's most creative underwater photographers and a pioneer in digital imaging who enjoys showing his techniques behind his shots. For more works, visit amuster.com. So excellent, excellent. Yeah, it's, it's, one, it's one of the items on my short list of things I want to do, which is underwater photography. So that's your, your underwater photos of the week. And then let's see, we we got some others. We got some videos of the week, too. Oh, no, before we, no, I'm not sorry, videos of the week. Before that, we got some potentially cool scuba gear. Uh, this, this first one's kind of a follow-up type of story uh, that we had before. The uh, Open ROV program ended up raising over $115,000, or $111,000 for, and they're, they're saying it's for amateur ocean ocean exploration. Uh, the creators, David Lang and Eric Stackpole, did not anticipate that their open source robot would infatuate the press or be viewed as a low cost alternative to subs like the Deep Sea Challenger, which is the one that James Cameron has been building. Uh, they say at the outs- on- outset, we thought that it might be a great project to discover underwater caves that were too small for divers. Uh, this is what Lang was saying. Uh, our ideas 
for what we wanted to use it for were dwarfed by the community. Environmentalists and marine archaeologists already say they plan to use open ROV to discover shipwrecks in Cuba. Spotlight pollution the high seas. Treasure hunters can use mini-sub to look for gold <laughs> gold <laughs> in uncharted waters. In November, uh, Stackpole will be headed to Antarctica as an under-ice pilot for large-scale commercial-grade ROV. We don't want to be the wealthiest mini-sub builders in the world. Our goal is to have a high return on adventure. Neat-sounding uh, stuff here. Yeah. You're going to have uh, to look at that. Yeah. But, and, and I've been following for quite a while. I, I like to say I... I mean, we actually were following them before they got big in the press. And I keep thinking I need to call them up, and I need to. But now they're big celebrities, or they even want to talk to us. But, uh, well, they sound much down to earth. Kickstart really helped them get going because they got a lot of publicity from that. And yeah. it helped them with their funding. But uh, Yeah, they were only looking, I believe, for $20,000, and then that just took off like crazy. They had like that in the first 12 hours. Yeah. And, and I've seeing some of the new threads that have come out people are have built a couple and you know they're debugging some of the software and coming up with better ways for better communications through different wire configurations and things so you know six months or a year from now this thing's really going to be, be flying well and i and I, I still maintain that we need to uh try and do one of these and i'd love to get the the schools in the area involved imagine if you know five or six of the schools in this part of the state each built one and we had a day where they went out to a wreck that we're diving on and were able to go and test it how many people are we going to introduce to the great lakes and underwater diving and make some potential scuba divers absolutely yeah because as much as i love scuba diving we we're only going to be able to get down so far we have to use these type of technologies to to find the stuff that's even deeper so that's some potentially cool scuba gear and then we have this next one. Um, I don't know. I would call this what a, a, a moving item type. Uh, not quite a mini sub. It's not doesn't look like it's going to float for you. This one is uh, being built or has been built for Shark Week, which is on Discovery Channel, which I'm sure many of our listeners have been obsessing to over the last week or so. Volkswagen reveals their underwater car. They teamed up with the Discovery Channel. Uh, it's a one-of-a-kind. It's the Volkswagen Beetle, Beetle Mobile Shark Cage. The shark cage is the shape of the iconic beetle. The driver can use it to drive along the ocean floor and interact with sharks. Now, I looked at that really good, and I cannot say one thing. is uh, It ain't got enough bars as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I think and, that's kind of the, the, the trend now is that they, yeah, because, I mean, at least it's got some. Maybe come right to a door where it ain't go there, and that leg looks awful appetizing. Yeah. And uh, you go right in where the body and the, the head is at your above the door. Some of those guys could get right in there on you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much protection that's really going to offer. And where is, what's the drive system? I was trying to, I went to all the, the pictures, and I can't see how it makes the wheels move. Oh, I see it. Okay, Mac. Okay, look at the photo. So you got the top photo, which is an overall shot. Then you got the video. Uh, and then you've got the photo below that, so another one below that, and then that next one. Look in front of the rear wheels. There's 280 cylinders. CDA, I see the cylinders, but I thought that was nothing more than a container system for air to hook up with your hose to your mast. Oh, I was thinking that was for the uh, propulsion. But uh, you're, you're saying that's that. That's what I say. I can't see the interface for the gearing. What I'm thinking is that they're just using a, okay, there's another one I'm, I'm, I'm seeing. Yeah, they, they, when you click on the photos, they'll do some close-ups. Oh, I just found it. 
you are right in the uh, where it has in the back wheels where I said you can lay the scuba tanks in. Yeah, it looks like it has two of the Farallon type uh, DPVs stuck in there, and that's the propellers you're talking about. Go oh. to the one where they got moving overboard to let it down into the water mm-hmm. and blow it up, and then you can see it rising. So very cool. Yes, sir. So Have almost... a birthday coming up if anybody wants to get something like that for me. <laughs> I'll take you for a ride. Now, now, will we need to attach like a bottle sieve on the front of it? Well, it looks to most of those pictures like a single seat with an extra bottle to the side. Yeah. That's pretty good. You don't have to have the big weights and stuff on you. I noticed the diver, as I'm looking at it, doesn't have a PC on or anything. Looks like he's stuck. He's putting out one part. Yeah. So he rode the car down is what he did? Huh. That is cool, though, isn't it? It is. And I think we could actually use something like that in Lake Michigan. Now, would that be a potential... I've been trying to think of a sport that we could have in the Great Lakes. Could we do like underwater dune buggy races? Well, I don't see why not. I mean, you in Lake Michigan out by us, it's a sand bottom. You could easily drive something around on that sand. Right. And you your hills and valleys and stuff like that. You have a little Baja course out there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we, we might we might be onto a sport here. Maybe Volkswagen would like to fund it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure they just uh, they have a big buckets of money that they're they're looking to spread around. And if they happen to, they can contact us at the show at Scuba Obsessed. And I'm sure the underwater preserve would be more than happy to try it out and be able to go out and look at the wrecks using that. Yeah. More than happy. Yeah. We could use it as a, you know, we could put taxi plates on it and use it as a fundraiser. There you go. And this next one I listed as video of the week, but I just got to look at now. I don't actually have the video. It's it's on Vimeo, so when it's in the show notes. We'll be able to have it on, but this one is a underwater torpedo has been adopted by a group of traveling mammals. So this particular link uh, was missing the video link, but uh, uh, these guys were able to get. Uh, he was they were looking for tuna 20 miles off Santa Cruz uh, and not doing it too badly. First minute video shot, uh, they caught a nice fish. Then they take a then they take the uh, torpedo which uh, was built to carry a GoPro. High definition camera drop in the water, and uh, that's when things started to get a little bit crazy. Their torpedo isn't the blow up submarine dipe, it's an underwater missile that can streak to the water just below the surface. Record video, uh, an underwater moving camera, and about one minute and 40 seconds in, company arrives. So, uh, and you can guess what that is. Well, it looks like we'll have to take our uh, little towfish, place a nose cone with something that's clear, and uh, use uh, Jim's uh, GoPro. Now, that's an idea. Now, wouldn't that be something if you actually saw a wreck right there with that? I think we'd have to be pretty shallow and good vis. Yep. Would be cool, though. Yep. Well, I think we did it for scuba the news for this week. So, Mac, how you feeling? Well, I'm still ding there on my side, so I'm going to be not diving for a little bit. So, for another uh, week or two at the least. So, But you're but you're still on for Sheboygan at this point? Uh, right now, I, I've sort of re, I've already got my room, so <laughs> I'm really, really hoping to go. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I'll be diving at the uh, at the uh, steak fry next week. Okay. I don't want to do any more damage than I already did, but uh, yeah, I was gonna. I get the newsletter out today, and it has information on the uh, the trip. Great, excellent. So we know you didn't get any diving in, but uh, Jim and I were. Uh, we're able to get out in the lake, weren't we? Well, we got out on the lake, but I didn't get any diving. You did, though, so it was Yeah, yeah uh, I, I did diving, and then who went with us? Was it Gary? 
Yeah, Gary from the uh, Underwater Preserve. Yeah, and we were diving on Max Wreck. And I was a little skeptical going out. Earlier in the day, I had pulled up the buoy off the Cook Nuclear Plant just to see what we are going to find, kind of do a guess. And uh, I clicked many times thinking that maybe there was something wrong with the buoy. But when the bottom sensor and the middle sensor and the top center sensor and the sensor array is all recording the exact same temperature, it makes you wonder what you may see. And we had had storms for uh, many days the the week before so i was a little concerned that maybe things had flipped or turned or or something and that's uh, pretty much what we saw uh, we got out to the wreck it was waves were about two a little over two feet with a swell mixed in there so there's a few times you drop into a trough um, got out to the wreck gary and i got in the water and went down and the surface i mean at the top there was a strong surface current visibility looked like crap you couldn't you couldn't really even see your fins uh, at the surface, which I was I, actually that was making me hopeful. When I'm at the surface and visits bad, I usually have a little bit better as we go down. Water wasn't as warm as we've had at the surface in the past, but it was still in the in the high 50s. As we went down, it was getting darker and darker. And at one point, when you're at the surface and your your eyes get used to the light, and then you go down and it starts getting darker, I I keep thinking that I can see the bottom. You know, like I, I'm thinking I'm seeing the profile of the sand. So I was kind of hopeful. I was thinking, oh, we're going to come through a thermocline and then the bottom's going to come up. But I kept going down and kept getting darker and darker. And then when you're at about 50 feet and it's, it's night darkness, you know there wasn't much hope. And we didn't bring uh, the big lights because we knew if, if it was bad enough or it was that dark that we weren't going to see, that we weren't going to have anything. So I, I powered up my backup light. Gary had a, a backup light as well. And we got, you know, I, I came along the chain on the anchor on the, on the down line. And uh, visibility was maybe two or three feet with the light. And there was a strong bottom current. I mean, I'm kind of bad at it, but I would say as strong as uh, the river current on a calm day, right along the bottom. That's a good little bit. Yeah, and the sand was actively moving. You could see the sand on the bottom move. There was, uh, it looked like a snowdrift right in the pattern of the current. The current was coming uh, from the port side of the wreck across to the starboard so it was for gary's first time so the the plan for the dive was we're going to come down the anchor we take a look at the uh, bow we're going to go down the port side go to the stern post then come up the center and that's what i was hoping for i got on the bow i was leading and that was the last of the shipwreck that we saw <laughs> what I day was, did you guys go out pardon me what day was that that was sunday 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 uh, afternoon. Yeah, it was about, about 3 or 4 o'clock. And, it, and it, we actually had the sun peak out a few times. So we had some good light in the sky, but it was dark. And the temperature didn't change from the top to the bottom. Well, what was the temperature? About 56. It, no, no, it was warmer than that. It was in the low 70s. Low 70s? Okay.
very nasty at the bottom. In fact, one time, well, it was dark as night, literally. We were doing a night dive when we got to the bottom. It was so silted up, uh, and you just couldn't see a thing. So, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I think, you know, yes, well, you, you haven't told the rest of the story yet. Okay. So, uh, about your, your thing. yeah. So we, we had a, uh, you know, cr- quite a strong current on the bottom and I just pasted the, uh, the link to the, uh, what we saw on the buoy in the chat room. Uh, so, you know, we went out, it felt like maybe 20 yards. And at that point I realized that, you know, we weren't on it. It was, it was like Mac when we were diving into Cooper river where you got up above the bottom, maybe four or five feet. And then before you realize that the current had taken you and you come, when you get close to the bottom again, you're moving. I mean, yeah. you've got that sensation. So we, we, we signaled, turned around to head back to the anchor line. And of course we can't find the anchor line. So, uh, at this point I feel like, you know, we could be a quarter mile off the wreck. So Gary and I decide that we're going to do a, uh, uh, a free ascent. So I grab onto his BC, he grabs on the mine and we come up, and we did a very controlled ascent, did a three-minute safety stop. I was very pleased, and we come up, and we're not more than, uh, I don't know, I would say 30 yards off of uh, uh, Jim's moored boat. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so I was, yeah, I, was, I was pretty pleased. So we weren't that far, but visibility was just to that, where if you weren't within a couple feet of the wreck, you weren't going to find it. Did you have a trailing line out? Yes, he did. Excellent. But he uh, disconnected from the from the buoy, and I was willing to swim it. In fact, I I, I was heading back, but uh, I think Gary was more in for the uh, bring the boat around. <laughs> yeah, when you guys yelled, I thought about trying to throw the the throw bag to you, but I was going to pull you against the current and both of you. And I just thought, you know, I'll just there's no reason for me to stay on the buoy. I'll cut free. I'll, you know, at least drift closer to you. And if the engines did start for some reason, I'd at least be drifting probably faster than you would. Yeah, yeah, you'd have, um, you'd have caught up and, to us. But yeah, it was. So a, I didn't want to, didn't want to lose you. I just didn't want to delay getting off that buoy in case yeah. that current started ripping a little further behind the boat. It's always hard to tell. Yeah, the the other rookie mistake. The other rookie mistake I made is I didn't have a reel with me because I I don't wouldn't normally take a reel unless I'm going to do some measuring on Max Wreck. Uh, but then also Gary did have a reel, <laughs> so I I uh, that's something I should have checked out before the dive and had him attach that and we'd have and we'd have probably actually been able to show him all the parts of the wreck. But uh, it was it was still a good dive. I mean, yeah, a good learning experience. You know, a little bit of a confidence builder knowing that we can with two divers do a nice safe ascent with a safety stop. That, Nobody had a safety Good skill to do and good skill to practice. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I had my safety sausage, but I didn't, I didn't inflate it. Uh, no, I, you know, knowing that we were there by the wreck and not hearing any motors, we didn't inflate it. Now, if we got in the surface and needed the signal, then I would have inflated it. It's yeah, nice that you had it with you. Guys. That's the other item. Yes. Yeah, fortunately, I was glad to hear you guys uh, yell. And, you know, there's, there's, what I'm going to say is at least three good, three or four good lessons in this story. Uh, one, you, you know, each grabbed hold of each other. You stayed together and made that safe ascent together. So you were there to support each other. Uh, number two, you know, I don't know if either of you had a whistle or uh a uh, dive alert or something that would make noise, but I was yep. able to hear you from where you were. Yeah, no, I, I had a whistle. In fact, I had just, I had lost mine 
uh, on a previous dive and I had just replaced it a few weeks before and it finally made it back to my BC and I'd mounted it earlier in that day. So I did have a, a whistle. You know, that, yeah, that's I, a, I, I spent the money yeah. for a dive alert that goes on the end of your BC hose. Yeah. And I tell you, that thing is loud. It's like, you know, like an air can or canned air horn. Uh, it is loud. You will hear that. So it's a plug to, you know, if you're going to be in open water diving um, or any kind of current diving, it, I strongly recommend people to invest in that. Another good lesson we learned is, you know, there's a lot of times we dive where we don't keep anybody on the boat. And I'm just glad I stayed on the boat. I, whenever we can and we can afford to, I'd like to keep somebody on the boat so they can do, just like I did, you know, cut it free in the morning and drift after your divers and pick them up. Yeah. So. And that and that's one of the basics of a boat dive that we're probably a little lenient on. I think part of it's the confidence, you know, you know, five miles from shore looks close, but it really isn't all that close. And you never I know what kind of weather's going to come up. Yeah. And uh, kind of what we've used is it is if there's, rough waves coming and there's a wind blowing then we make sure we leave somebody in the boat but if it's moored on the wreck we feel more confident because it's you know it's going to take a pretty extreme situation to rip that boat off that mooring yeah when it's when it's dead flat and there's no current running i'm a lot more comfortable not having someone on the boat but you know if we can keep somebody there you know and stagger our diving it's just a safer way to go it does point out a few items we might want to uh increase our vigilance on it's like when you're jumping for example you do gear checks and buddy checks Mm -hmm. and i know each of the dives that we do you do them a little bit different but there we always do a check your gear before you put it on meaning is your regulator working did your wing seat can you vent your bc then once you get your gear on we do a buddy check i i'm looking at here is is the harnesses on all the d-rings tight you know a normal gear check and then just for exit the door, or in this case, get out the, get out into the boat or get off the boat, you do an abbreviated check. Like, I know my air is working. I know I have a little air in my BC before you get in. It's, it's not a bad idea to start bringing that stuff in there. You know, who does? Everybody has a whistle, a noisemaker. If we're in the environment that you need that safety sausage, that would be really good. So yep. the light yeah, well, we, we can improve on. Definitely. I mean, we've gotten in the habit on the boat of, you know, and, you know, air in the beat, air's on, air in the BC, double breaths off the regulator, watch the gauge, you know, a little bit of air in the BC just to make sure you're positive, a little air in the suit if you're driving, diving dry suit, you know, just to make sure air is flowing every place that it should, uh, and then in you go. The other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, a, a small finger reel. Uh, just throwing one in your pocket. Yes. You never know when you're going to be someplace and say, gee, I don't have a big reel, but, you know, with a finger reel, I can tie off and at least get back to where I was. Uh, Or, you know, mark a spot or do something. Well, and then the other thing I like about a finger reel is here we did a free ascent with a finger reel, Mm -hmm. even if you didn't have a full reel, you can can float up that safety sausage. And now you know, because it, it was a good practice for two divers to coordinate your buoyancy. Because as you're going up and you're dumping air as you get farther up to get that. And then we did that safety stop. We were between 17 feet and tried to stay above 20. A couple times uh, you, know, you had to kick a little hard when you sunk down to about 21 feet. But with a safety sausage, sausage on the surface, it makes that a little bit easier. Yeah. 
And, you know, if you guys did a three- or four-minute safety hang, uh, if you had that safety sausage out, that thing might have come up right behind the boat, and I could have hooked it with a, you know, either reached out and grabbed it or slam it and almost tied you right off to the boat and brought you right up under the boat, that, right that, up to the boat or close to the boat. Yeah, that's true. Well, then at yeah, least you'd have had a little bit of an early warning, so you could have seen that, yeah. monitored yeah. it, and then kept track so you could, you know, like maybe that's what we start using as a standard where when we're coming up in a free ascent not on the anchor we float mm-hmm. that and then you can keep track and know that if you see it there for three minutes you know that somebody's not stressed if you see that come up and then somebody pops up in another 10 15 seconds and you know maybe something is up yep yep so all good things so you know okay. I, we dive together so much that we we almost know what to expect of each other with bottom times and everything else but you know, this is always good. It's good to have divers you dive with regularly, but it's also good to talk about some of your procedures and what you're going to do. And, you know, you get paired up with somebody you're not used to diving with. Uh, make sure you can't over-communicate, no. uh, especially doing it before the dive starts, because once you're underwater, it's a lot harder. Oh, well, exactly. And and even on uh, the hand signals, because we've kind of developed our yep. own hand signals, or I, you, know, you start looking you know, like i can look somebody in the face who i dive with and know you know are they concerned or are they relaxed and with somebody new you might not have that and you know what what does a signal mean and and uh yeah you know, i've tried to improve each time especially communicating uh with somebody who hasn't dove in the wreck you know the, the mud club we dive together so often that everything starts to become second nature and then with uh, opening up max wreck through the preserve it seems like about every week we have a new diver that we don't dive with all that often or maybe even ever coming mm-hmm. down. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a, a good thing. We're, we're getting clubs getting exposed to more people. The preserves getting exposed to the club. Uh, we're bringing new divers into the area. You know, a lot of these preserve divers, they've been, you know, these guys are from some of them are brought down are from Holland and further north, so they haven't really been into the southern end of the preserve. And uh, it's, it's pulling the communities together. Yeah. So, you know, I think Matt is going to be a, a real good thing for um, Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve and the club. And, you know, I, I think, Darren, the way we talk about it and just your podcast and everything, I mean, look how many people we've uh, interested in coming over and diving with us this summer. You know, Dave came over for the uh, turkey dive a couple of years ago, and he's planning to come over and do some Labor Day diving with us. Uh, we got Steve and a couple other guys who would like to get out and get with us this summer. You know, here's people willing to pay to dive with Max. So, yeah. you know, hey, here, there we go. Yeah, it's good to have a celebrity that we know like that. Yeah. And then we, we, we kind of mentioned a little bit uh, during this talk about the dive uh, checklist. And that reminds me, I came across, uh, I, you know, I've had some downtime a little bit uh, over the last few weeks. I know it's hard to believe, but I was trying to find every scuba-related app for the iPhone that was free, being a cheapskate. And I did find one called Diving Matrix. So if you have an Apple iOS device, you know, and of course they have the disclaimer that this is no substitute for training, but it's, it's aimed to be a, uh, a checklist and they have one for closed circuit divers, one for open circuit divers, and also a checklist for non-diving essentials, emergency equipment, and they even have a five-minute neurological exam on it. And it's actually really good. So here's some of the items that are on the uh, the pre-dive checklist. Uh, the first item they have on there is analyzing twin sets or doubles. 
Uh, they're saying is the gas ton, uh, content appropriate and safe for the dive. So uh, most you know recreational divers to just dive in air, that's not something that they would typically do. But if you're doing nit- uh, nitrox or uh, trimix, that's something that's very good. Uh, and then they talk about calculating maximum operating depth. Again, uh, nitrox or, or that. Uh, marking cylinders appropriately, uh, assembling their twin set, and then d- dry breathing. So this is something that I hadn't done before. Maybe this is mostly technical, but they mentioned trying to breathe off the regulator before uh, powering it to air and then putting air and then breathing off it. And the, the purpose for breathing when before the air was opened was to see if there's a leak in your hoses. Uh, and they talked about streamlining, making sure stuff's clipped off, turning gas on, uh, the regulators. And then they had a B- BCD check, and they were talking about completely filling the BCD on the surface, making sure it didn't leak, and then completely deflating it. Uh, as I read about some of the accidents that people have had, uh, it, it seems to be there's an amazing number are BCD-related where the gear has failed either to hold air or uh, valves have failed to inflate. So that's that's something that somebody can do. And then you talk about dry suit inflation, but just a, an excellent application. So if you get a chance to pick up at this application and some of the checklist diving matrix for free, it's certainly worth it. Here's a comment about get Navonics app for iPhone. Ten dollars for full GPS and charts for all major lakes. That's Steve, big stick. N- uh, Navonics, I might have that one. Let me do a quick search. Uh, there was one, I mean, and, and that's what I, I, I appreciate that. If anybody has any, any diving apps and they want to let us know, we're, we're certainly interested in uh, taking a look at it. Uh, let's see, as I type it in here, it's not coming up. So I'm going to have to, to go and try that out. I had one which was aimed for boating, which had stuff similar to that, but I want to say it was even more, but you know, for 10 bucks, that's worth it. Uh, you know, some of the GPS apps, there's many of them out there, but they're not aimed for water. Uh, and then some of them are, they require a live connection. You don't always have a live connection, even with a phone out in the water. So something where you can have the maps downloaded to your device are great. And then Mac, you sent us uh, a link. This one's discovery of the early 1800 schooner in Lake Ontario. Is that the same one? There's two of them. The, uh, this one here is the queen of the lakes. That's another deep one. That's like 500 feet. But the reason it's a nice article is the pictures are outstanding of, a, I won't say virgin wreck but pretty darn close. And then the third one was uh, at 1800 schooner in Lake Ontario that is unique. They think it's 200 years old and they're looking at it based on the type of centerboard. And that's one I thought might be interesting to look at to see what the centerboard looked like to see if that's like ours. Oh, wow. I'm looking at this. Matt, first. You, will you email that to me, please? Yeah, it's also on Skype too. If you got it, but I can. Uh, yeah, but I may not capture it off of Skype. If you email yep. it, I'll know I'll have I it. Thanks. Oh, wow. But that one... That looks like if you were going to set a shipwreck down in your aquarium as a backdrop, that's how you would set it. That is well, absolutely amazing. On the one I read about, actually both of them, the reason they sank was they one were the, the biggest one was they were overloaded and they actually put nets on the rigging down to the sides of the ship on both sides so they wouldn't lose their cargo and their stuff. And when they when, sank, when they shipped water, it turned over, everybody drowned because they had the freaking nets on the outside. Oh. And that's why they say if you brought them up right now, they would they would float because there's no damage. Or when they sank down, it, it's keeled down. And they said they could have bought them up and they would have probably floated. Well, you think about it. When they're overloaded like that and provided that they weren't top heavy, they would have just sank right down. Wow. That was some excellent photos. And we pasted those in the chat room. And uh, th- that article we'll, we'll also have in the show notes. 
And let me see if I can find the other one. Okay. I, I actually looked at the second one first. Let me see what the first one was. Uh, shipwreck discovery in Lake Ontario of 158-year-old schooner Queen of the Lakes. Oh, this is a shipwreck world website. They got some nice. They they do a great yes, job. They did. Yeah. Wow, very good article. I'm gonna have to do some poking around this website. Plus, they got a video. Very nice. Very nice. That's what keeps saying. You got to go look because look how long it took them, but look how much support they had, both materials and money. Wow, look it's at that. It's not a side. matter of stumbling across it. Look at that sky side scan. Yeah. Now that is a holy grail of side scan. If that, if you get that and you can't figure out that's a shipwreck, then you need to just go and take up table tennis. Oh man, but that one looks like the Rockaway, doesn't it? <laughs> just with more together. <laughs> Very. I would nice say thing. more of the friends' goodwill. Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, that that bring that makes me think we need to do a test, Mac. We need to do is have them sink the friends' goodwill, <laughs> and then we'll run the side scan on it. Yeah, see, Jim, you got some pull. Maybe you can convince somebody. Maybe we we do that uh, ships to reefs program. I don't. He's starting to scare me there, buddy. The air must be going a little bad in that room. They might open the door, get some ventilation. Yeah, I've got a meeting with the the, the, uh, Maritime Museum tomorrow, uh, and I don't think. I will bring that up as a You, you don't want to mention that? No. I, I don't think that would really go over too well tomorrow. Well, j- just so you gotta let's, keep let's that one in your back Yeah, keep that in your back pocket so when they start like if they ever start complaining about the maintenance costs, say that we yeah, have a really yeah. good way of reducing maintenance costs on the vessel. Yeah, Almost that, nothing. Well and if you true. sink it at the that's dock, true. that keeps it wet so you won't have any shrinkage. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And we could always yeah, I thought you guys were for a minute there, I thought you guys were doing two bad scuba jokes this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the chat room, Steve's saying, they're surprised that you still take me in the boat because I keep wanting to stink a ship. Actually, we were talking about that when we were diving Max wreck. You know, uh, Steve and I were saying if we went down, hopefully we didn't see Jim's ship come behind us. Because uh, one thing we didn't talk about is uh, you had a little bit of maintenance you had to do on the uh, bilge pump. Yeah, we, we had a broken wire on the bilge pump, and fortunately, the way the boat's designed, when the bilge gets a little high, it shows up uh, in an area that's pretty easy to see. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, when when yeah, your that, gear starts my, sloshing around. Over, yeah, when the gear starts sloshing around, you know, you need to fix the bilge pump. Yeah, so early warning. Actually, it, on, on the agenda this week is to buy a second bilge pump. Uh, to put in there also. And then maybe one of the a maintenance item. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the maintenance items for Saturday. I don't think we're going to get out on Saturday. We'll probably dive on Sunday. So Saturday's a maintenance day for the boat. Since my wife will be out of town, I can spend all day working on the boat. There you go. Well, speaking of boats, uh, as I talked about earlier in the show, I've been uh, at the youth fair. I actually had a day off work today. Now, did you get to take a look at the uh, photo I sent on... Uh, the potential uh, dive boat? Uh, yeah, I saw the price tag that went with it. Yeah, that, that's I, I a bargain. I really though. do like boat, though. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> no, Darren, I didn't. I'm, you know, I'm two days behind in my email, so. Yeah, it was a, uh, the boat was a Hughes boat. And I'm going to have to do some looking into it. You know how we had talked about uh, there's that one type of boat that you liked, uh, except for it was riveted? This one's mm. not riveted, it's welded. Mm. And this this particular boat, 
was bought brand new just a little over a year ago, fully loaded. I'll have to look to see how long it was, but it's sitting at the Berrien County Youth Fair currently. So if you happen to get there before, uh, the, let's say, August 18th, you can take a look at it. I got to go in the boat, had two 250-horsepower outboards off the back, a full radar uh, bottom scanning sonar. It was rigged up for charter. The gentleman who bought it worked at a steel mill and was disabled. So part of his rehabilitation, they trained him to be a charter boat captain, and he bought this boat. So this is a boat that fully equipped the way he had it set up. Uh, it, Mac, also, you might want to hear this part. It had, uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, auto steering? So you could program that in. If you if you ran it only on one motor and you put it down to the to a trolling speed, it burned half a gallon of fuel an hour. Excuse me. Half I'm a gallon. I'm looking at those guys. I don't know how you could possibly go that slow. That said, half a gallon an hour it could uh, in its, its slowest settings. Now, of course, this is a salesman. Uh, but what had happened is the gentleman had gone through all the training, had bought in the boat, you know, well over two hundred and some thousand dollar aluminum boat with a cabin with seating, uh, you know, kitchen computer, you know, like I said, everything. And, uh, his medical condition, just he, the doctor said after him doing that for a season, if he wanted to live much longer, he needed to stop it. So they're doing him a favor and they're trying to sell the boat. So for a mere $115,000, they're selling that boat. The only way my wife well, would have it is it's big enough to live on. Uh, uh, if you're very friendly. Now, it did have a full bath. Now, I say a full bath. It had a a bathroom. You know, a stand-up, full-height bathroom. They called that the penalty box. They said if you're charter fishing off it and you broke a line, you had to spend two minutes in the penalty box. <laughs> uh, but, a, well, you know, a very nice boat. And, you know, right now it's definitely outside my my means, but uh, that was something with a six-pack license. It would be a nice boat. Absolutely. Let's go that looks really nice. Let's you go saw partners. my note back to you on that, didn't you, What did you say, Jim? I said, I think we should go partners. You come up with 100000 I'll throw in the fifteen. <laughs> you buy the gas, I'll buy the oil. Yeah. <laughs> well, Darren, did, did you see my note that I wrote back to you on that one? Uh, let me see. Uh, okay. You said it was appropriately named for us. I, I, you know, what was it? Let me pull it up. I, what was the name of the boat? Ship well, of I Fools. Well, I said it was appropriately named for us. It's called the Ship of yeah. Fools. Yeah. Is that a Sea Arc? Do you know, Darren? Was that a Sea Arc design? I'm not, I wouldn't know what a Sea Arc design is. Uh, it sure looks like it could be a Sea Arc boat. Which are damn nice boats, but no, this was this was a really nice boat. Ring. It had a second steering wheel, but they had there was a lot of other boats. So they had smaller sizes. Uh, this one didn't. This one had a larger uh, because it was really built for charter fishing. But the uh, uh, the the company was Calumet Marine out of Calumet City, Illinois, and they're the most eastern dealers from it. The boats are made in. Uh, Seattle, or not Seattle, but in, out in Washington State. Right. That's called a Pacific Cruiser, by the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. But they, they said they had an option. Where they, they had some. They said that scuba divers usually don't do the cabin that large. They said they normally do a shorter cabin, and then they have larger benches out back. Mm-hmm. And then they also have an option okay. for a walk-through transom. But even with that not being a walk-through transom, that was a nice. That was nice. Well, I appreciate you sending me the photo. But unfortunately, it's a little out of my, more than a little, out of my price range. So, yeah. So, Hughes, the we'll, boat we'll leave it on, you know, H-E-W-E-S. Okay. Uh, I think if I had half that amount, 
I'd be buying a personal submarine first. Now, I went to the sub jitters last weekend, and man, was I, I'm hooked. I'd love to find a personal submarine, a two-man sub that so, could so go that down was, to 250 feet. So that was a nice show you went to then. Oh, it was a great show up there. The West Michigan Underwater Preserve uh, sponsored it, uh, and they had uh, five or six individual submarines up there that were all running around in the river. Uh, doing demonstrations, taking some people for rides. Uh, a really unique one um, had its own track system underneath that was hydro. It had a, a diesel engine in the sub that drove a hydraulic system that brought the tracks, used tracks, and uh, they actually drove the sub out of the water right up onto its trailer. Oh. Uh, uh, the tracks were like the kind you'd find on a little bobcat, you know, or... Uh, uh, excavator, and they just drove it right out of the water up onto its trailer, and, you know, that was neat. Uh, really some unique designs in these piece subs, you know. So I've got to get my photos off the other computer and get them posted out there so people can see. Definitely an enjoyable show. Looking forward to coming back to, uh, to Muskegon next year. Excellent. I've just got to kill a internet window here you know sometimes you get some of those where they it's like you can't close the window it's like are you sure you want to leave the page and no matter what you click you know you're that's not going to let you off yeah, let me close this and okay now i think i closed all the spam Oh, and we do have a, let me go in, uh, go back to our show notes. We did have some five-star reviews and iTunes reviews since last week, so definitely appreciate those. And this, uh, we'll go ahead and read uh, one of them. Somebody put one on uh, each of the websites as I make sure I find the right link. Uh, one was, uh, says, awesome podcast full of info. Uh, excellent, uh, excellent podcast, great information, great bunch of folks full of information. Take advantage of the live chat room. And that was by uh, Big Stig Steve in the chat room. Thank you very much. And it's and another one he had, which he posted on iTunes, is love listening to the show. Recently discovered it. Listened to it from uh, to and from work. All the old episodes, great bunch of guys full of information. Definitely time well spent. So thank you very much. We certainly appreciate that. So if you haven't had a chance to leave us a Five-star review. We absolutely love those. You can also leave us one on uh, TalkShoe as well. TalkShoe, we are show 73759. We are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Obsessed. We're also on the Scoob Obsessed website, www.scoobobsessed.com. And I know I've been teasing everybody probably for six months to a year on new websites coming, but they are. I'm working on them every day, but, you know, the actual, the paying work gets in the way, so... I almost need to uh, have some t- real work needs to slow down and I'll be able to do some of the, the other work, but uh, some great things. I'm excited about them. I just need to get them out there published so everybody can go take a look at them. And if you want to drop us an email, send it to us at the show at scoobobsessed.com. If you ever have a problem with that, go ahead and look us up and message us anyway. For some reason we had uh, email was sticky. I would call it for a few days, uh, whatever it was. Uh, I didn't really have to change anything, but you know, I was seeing some bounce backs, and then the bounce backs went away, so I don't know what that was about. Uh, either of you got anything to pitch? 
No, but if you're going to get it wet, you might as well do it now because it ain't going to get any warmer. No, we're, we're right now. What we'll probably do coming up in a few episodes here is we'll start talking about how to prepare for diving for the winter and the cold weather. We're getting to that time of the year it. where yeah, you know, and my my I, everything I've got is leaking. You know, I had uh, actually. Uh, one of the things I didn't talk about in the dive this week is I had some earwigs that gotten into my dive gloves when I had them outside drying out. So you put your hand in them and they start crunching. So I had to peel them out. But my, my, my gear is just, my wetsuits are falling apart. You know, they don't last forever, even when you take care of them. And I might be guilty of not taking care of them as well as I should. But uh, they're becoming sieves. So as I get into this fall cold weather, uh, I'm going to have to start upgrading you know, everybody's going to laugh in a dry suit, but even in the wetsuits, you need to start uh, watching how your suit's performing. And we'll talk about that in the coming up episodes. You know, how do you take, start diving now in the warm weather, appreciate this warm weather, and we're going to give you tips on how you can uh, dive all the way into ice diving in your wetsuit. So there's a, the techniques you can take and approach you take, and you'll be able to dive all year long, even in the cold mist Midwest waters. Uh, Jim, do you have anything you want to pitch? Nope. We just appreciate everybody who's uh, listening to the podcast and keep those five-star reviews coming. Excellent. So that means it's that time of the show. So here we go. It was Saturday morning as Jake, an avid hunter, is on the kitchen to grab a cup of coffee. And to his surprise, he finds his wife, Alice, sitting there fully dressed in camouflage. Jake asks her, what are you up to? Alice smiles. I'm going hunting with you. Jake, though he had many reservations about this, reluctantly decides to take her along. Three hours later, they arrive at the game preserve just outside of San Marcos, Texas. Jake sets his lovely wife safely up in the tree stand and tells her, If you see a deer, take careful aim on it, and I'll come running back as soon as I hear the shot. Jake walks away with a smile on his face, knowing that Alice couldn't bag an elephant, much less a deer. Not ten minutes pass when he's startled by what he hears is a ray of gunshots. Quickly, Jake starts running back as Jake gets closer to Stan. hears Al screaming, Get the hell away from my deer! Confused and frightened, Jake races faster towards the screaming wife. Again, he hears her yell, Get away from my deer! Followed by another volley of gunfire. Now, within the sight of where he had just left his wife, Jake is surprised to see a Texas game warden with his hands in the air. The game warden, obviously distraught, yelled, Okay, lady, you can have the damn deer. Just let me get my saddle off. I like that one. (laughs) So, yeah, try to tie it into diving somehow. (laughs) So until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe, you guys. And remember... Did we, what were we remembering, Jim? Uh, just remember what we can this week. Okay. <laughs> Call recording has been completed. For a minute there, Jim, I thought we were having a senior moment trying to remember what you were going to remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out what we were remembering. I just thought I'd kind of leave them hanging this week. You did. <laughs>